Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. John 15, picking up in verse 18, where we left off last week. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they, did, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you, are re- you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, Therefore, I said that he will take, take of mine and declare it to you. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Well, we've been <clears throat> traveling through the gospel according to John since March. And um, this is the 31st 
message in the series. And uh, we'll be going on till just before Christmas um, with it. And as we've gone through the book of John, we've seen that John is presenting Jesus very clearly as the, Lamb of, uh, the, the Son of God who became the Lamb of God in order to take away the sins of the world. But that in the first 12 chapters, Jesus was being revealed in that way through not only his words, but his works that were demonstrating, were proving that Jesus was indeed Yahweh in the flesh. And um, as we sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, um, you ask whom that may be, um, Christ Jesus is to see, Lord Sabaoth is his name from age to age same. That's always cool when we sing that. Because you know where that comes from? It's from the Old Testament. It's Yahweh Sabaoth. So when you're singing that, that's really what that is, that Martin Luther is declaring that this is Yahweh of hosts. He's the Yahweh of the armies, and he's going to win. And so this concept is, is playing out here um, where Jesus is on the earth. And if you remember from John chapter 8, Jesus said, unless you believe, ego me, unless you believe I am, I am, you will die in your sins. And if you remember, we went back to Ani Yahweh before that on July 4th. July 4th is when we spent the entire message looking through the Old Testament at Ani Yahweh. I am, I am. And what that means. And it's a statement. That's what God chose to be called by. That's his name, the one who exists. And Jesus says, unless you believe that's me, you'll die in your sins. And so now we come then into John 13, um, into these final um, 13 to, there we go, 13 to 17, where we're told right in the get-go that having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And then we're now being told how he loved them. And so in chapter 13, in the beginning, so many verses, while they're arguing about who is the greatest among them, Jesus takes off his robe, his outer robe. He puts on, he takes the towel of the servant and he washes their feet and says, look, I being your teacher and your Lord have given you an example that you ought to do this for one another. And he's going to teach them from, from this point all the way through these chapters. There are continuing themes coming through these chapters. But one of the primary continuing theme through this chapter is you need to love one another. This is the commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. And so he's ministering to them. He's washing their feet. He's loving them. He's meeting their needs. But then he also, in the midst of that, transitions, and he starts giving them promises. And the the very first promise that he gives them is that, and we're going to see today where he's going to say it's profitable for you for me to leave because yada, yada, yada. But one of the things he tells them right off the bat is that, He's getting ready to go, but when he's getting ready to go, it's because he's going to go to his father's house. And when he goes to his father's house, he's going to make a Monet, a permanent dwelling place for them. And when he's done with it, he's going to come back and he's going to receive them to himself so they can live with him for a moment or two. Forever. Forever. Man, my mind just boggles with that, what that's going to be like. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. I just can't, uh, and that's good. I can't imagine, right? God's word tells me that. 
I can never do that. But he then also promises them after this, he makes them other promises. He promises his power, the, the greatness, the, the, uh, the great works that they'd be able to do, not by themselves, not in themselves, but because of their, as we're going to see in a moment, abiding in him. Okay, we're breaking this thing apart. Remember, this is all one talk that Jesus is giving to his disciples. We're breaking it apart and kind of segmentize it, and you've got to kind of read it all together. But Jesus is going to get into, the next thing we're talking about is abiding in him. And so Jesus says, if you love me, if you, if you keep my commandments, if you're abiding in me, if you're abiding in my word, right, then you're going to ask what you will, and what's going to happen? You're going to get it. Because you're going to be asking things according to my name, in my name, according to my will. And my will is what? What's Jesus' will? To do the Father's will. You get it? And so, again, we looked at 1 John 5 at that point, And we talked about name and claim it, right? If you ask anything according to God's will, then you know he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, you know that you're going to receive whatever you ask. So you want name and claim it. Just ask things according to the will of God. Not according to the will of Bob or to the will of insert your name, but according to God's will. It's about his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you're truly, honestly, in your heart, seeking God, God, you know, I could, I could really serve you better if I had a, a Cadillac. That, that, that's a little bit of me is entering into that, right? I mean, it has nothing, the Cadillac has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. I can serve him just as well as a junker. Make sense? And so, what's the prayer request? God, I could serve you better if I had transportation. God will provide you transportation if you need it to serve him in his kingdom better. Does that make sense? I, I wanted a Ford Econoline. God gave me a Dodge. 3500 Yeah. And then in my next car, I went to a Ford dealer, and God gave me a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> so for you, those of you who are fixer repair daily kind of guys, I mean, I'm sorry, first on race day, only kind of guys, all I can tell you is that God said to me I had to be a Dodge guy. Anyways, and so, but, but we prayed about that. We, we wanted, a, a, we had seven kids at the point, we needed a larger van, you know, yada, 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 and and God used that 15 passenger for us to go through neighborhoods and pick up kids and bring them to the kids' clubs on Wednesday nights. I mean, we had double-buckled kids and everything. God gave us exactly what we were going to need for ministry. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay? So ask according to the will of God, not according to what your will is. He also then promises his, yes? oh, his presence. I thought maybe I was being... A question already from the front. Actually, that would be... Anyways, so the, the presence is presence. And so it's not just the Holy Spirit, but remember as we looked at it, Jesus said that he and the Father would set up their Monet, their permanent dwelling place, in us. Just as he's making us a Monet in his Father's house, so they're going to set up their Monet in our house. How cool is that, huh? Okay? And then we would have peace. And remember that peace is dependent upon the fact that we have all these other things going on, which we then saw, as we went into 15, of being abiding in him. And it kind of brings this stuff together. It kind of makes sense now, right? Because remember the word to abide is the word meno, which is the verb form of monet. Okay? And so I need to be then residing in Christ. Specifically, we're told that that looks like residing in his word, in residing in his love, 
And if I'm residing in his word, spending time in his word, I appreciated Jimmy's testimony this morning. He shared with me earlier this, this week. How cool is it? So every day, again, I'm going to, last week I gave a little bit of testimony about Jimmy, and I'll share a little bit more, is that every day in his quiet time, he spends a couple hours reading God's word, but he always reads Proverbs and Psalms every day. And so when he comes through the Bible and he comes up to Psalms and Proverbs, he just continues, he doesn't skip them saying, oh, I'm reading them every day. He continues to read them. And so that means he's reading Psalms and Proverbs. And then he's going back and reading Psalms and Proverbs. So that's why he gets multiple doses every year in Psalms and Proverbs, right? So as now he's listening to it, and he's listening to the word, so that one day he's reading Psalms and Proverbs, right? And, and then he's reading Psalms and Proverbs, and then he's listening to what? Psalms and Proverbs. Isn't that kind of cool? And then he can sit there and he can start quoting with the guy who's reading it. And as he told me, I couldn't just sit here and start quoting it. But as I hear it, it's just coming out of my mouth. That's what happens when you spend time in God's word. Garbage in, garbage out. God in, God out. If you want to start speaking the word, start reading the word. A lot. Listening to the word. A lot. Get it on audio. Like he said, through Blue Letter Bible, he's listening to it. Some, a lot of you use Blue Letter Bible. Get rid of Rush Limbaugh. I know he's not on anymore, but you know what I'm talking about, okay? I mean, get rid of those, those pompous windbags who aren't accomplishing anything. Replace them with the word of God that does accomplish. You spend hours in your car. I don't know what you listen to, okay? But get rid of the world. It's amazing to me how many Christians spend their time in their car being inundated with the world. Get rid of the world. Replace it with God. Replace it with worship music, songs that are going to lift you up. Don't give me the, oh, I only listen to the music. Throw the garbage out. I, music is my, was, was my life. I mean, I DJ'd. I, I mean, everything. I had thousands of dollars. That was back when we were talking about before all the inflation, right? Cassettes and all that. Anyways, so, and I threw it all away. And I, I rejoiced in the Lord. I got, got brought, God brought that on me in my 20s. So I don't listen. I mean, the, the most secular stuff I'll listen to is classical music here and there. A little bit of Bach, a little bit of Beethoven. But otherwise, I want, look, I don't care whether I like the style of music or not. I want the message. That's why I love Esther Mui, because everything is, she's singing is scripture. I may not like every style of every song. It doesn't matter. What I want is God's word abiding in me. Someone said during testimony time, I think something about the studying, and, and I like to use the illustration that the government, you know the government, they don't give them the people who are looking at the counterfeit money, they don't give them counterfeit money to study. What do they give them? The real thing. Spend time studying the real thing, and then when the counterfeit comes, you'll, you'll know it. That's what we're talking about here, okay? So you need to abide. Jesus says you need to abide. And in that then, at the very end, and, and David, you brought this out at the end, um, in your testimony last week at the end of the service, um, which is kind of cool. And, and then Chuck just read this week's, okay? So I want to point your attention to the end um, of last week's um, text, okay? Where Jesus says in um, verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I what? I chose you and what? Appointed you. I established you. I, I, 
I brought you the foundation. I appointed you that you should go and do what? Bear fruit, okay? And that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give you these things I command you, that you love one another. Keep going. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were not of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but what? What's it say? But I have chose you out of the world. Therefore what? Therefore the world hates you. Jesus is the one who chose you. It's his plan. It's his purpose. And because of that, you got the good side. We talked about that last week. Right? You're going to bear fruit. Hopefully it's fruit that's remaining. You're going to be asking and God's going to be answering. But there's a second side of being chosen. And it's persecution. It's persecution. And Jesus now transitions because he's preparing his disciples for what's about to to come and so he's giving them the promises look these things are going to happen but beyond these promises there's something else i'm going to be promising you i'm promising you persecution is going to come if the world hated me guess what it's going to hate you okay and so the reason for our persecution is pretty clear because of our association with christ you're guilty by association How many times have you heard that growing up, right? You're guilty by association. Well, guess what? Do you know how the name Christian, you use it as a badge of honor, but do you know how the the term Christian came about? Say again. Little Christ, but how did it come about? It was an insult. Yeah, it was, it was the, they were being, oh, you're a bunch of little Christs. Because their lives had changed to such a degree that people noted the change, and they said, oh, you're just a bunch of little messiahs, little Christs. And so they became known as Christians. Would it be that we don't have to tell people that we're Christians? That people want to know what's different? John didn't join us today. I was looking up there. I was hoping that he would give his testimony. John shared with me a testimony. This is John from Texas who found us through Amazon Prime, right? kind of fun isn't it anyways but his life has now changed since may right and people are noticing it and um in his workplace and he gave me testimony of two guys and one's named cam and i can't remember the other he asked us to pray for them and i i'm sorry but i was really hoping he was going to be on and i could encourage him to share the testimony but he's got guys now that are are seeing the change in him and he's not just a quirk anymore but he's starting to get respect and have people actually come up and ask him questions isn't that kind of cool When God changes your life to the point where people take notice. And then it sticks long enough that they say, oh, this wasn't just a a fad. This wasn't just a moment, a burp in time. And so because of our association with Christ, it's because the world didn't know him. And so it's their ignorance. Jesus talks about their ignorance. But it's not just that they didn't know Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus because they didn't know the Father. This is really critical to me. I understand that salvation is in Christ. Through his death, burial, resurrection, Jesus said, you need to believe that I am, I am. But before Jesus came to the earth, okay, think all the way back even to the days of Job, what did they need to believe? 
Or what, what did need to happen in order for someone to be saved? I am not a believer in that they needed to keep the Mosaic law in order to be saved. I don't believe salvation's ever been by works. I think Hebrews chapter 11 tells me that salvation has always been by, by faith. Faith that bears out in my works. Noah, Noah was delivered. Noah was saved because he what? He had faith in God. God said, there's going to be a flood coming, and I want you to build a boat. What if he said, well, I don't know, man. You know, the price of lumber's up. I mean, we don't even have a Lowe's or a Home Depot near me. You know, I mean, do you ever realize how far I got to go to get these planks of lumber? I mean, he had to cut trees down, make the planks of lumber, you know, do all the work. It took 120 years, potentially, to build this boat. For 120 years, not seeing rain, but still doing it. Could you imagine how, whoo, when rain started, after he was done with the boat? <laughs> you get it? His faith was demonstrated by what? By his works. But he knew God. Do you get it? That's the whole point. He knew God. He was focusing on God. Job, Job 19. This has got to be the most wonderful portion of Scripture to me. Where Job, living in the days of Noah and Abraham, what does he know? That's the oldest book that we, that we understand to be written. Okay, Because Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and he comes after Job. But Job was written by Job, right? And so, um, or about Job. In, that in Job 19, we read that Job declares, I know that my Redeemer lives. Yeah, how cold is that? And when I am, when my flesh is destroyed, what does that mean? I'm dead, right? When, after my flesh is destroyed, in my flesh, I will see him face to face. That's pretty cool stuff. I mean, what did Job know? He didn't know about, necessarily about Jesus, but he knew that he had a what? A redeemer. Who was the redeemer, ultimately? God. God. Yeah, we don't read necessarily Yahweh at that moment, but yes, exactly right. Because he is the one who exists. Do you get it? Salvation's always been by faith. And so it comes back that the world didn't know who? The Father. You get it? It doesn't know God. Even though Romans chapter 1 tells us that what may be known of God has been revealed by God where? In his, very, no, in his very creation. So, but know in the Psalms, right, that the heavens declare the glory of God, day unto day utters his speech, right? And then we read further on in that Psalm that it's the, um, the law of the Lord converts the soul, that God has revealed himself both in his creation and in his word. And then the living word came, Jesus, and he manifested it. You know, I, I shared in Sunday school, I think it was Sunday school, that, I, that I'm a visual learner. You know? There's a lot of people who are visual learners. You guys visual learners? Yeah, okay. So you'd love to live in Jesus' day. Because you'd see him face to face. It's one thing to hypothetically, theoretically talk about Jesus coming. History is really hard for me. I mean, we're talking about a couple thousand years ago. You know? Okay? It's another thing to live there. But you realize the people who are living there, a lot of them denied it. They saw it. How do you look at a guy who's been dead four days resurrected, standing in front of you, and still declare that it didn't happen. Because they didn't know God. They knew about God. Understand that the ones who are denying them are the religious leaders, the ones who are, are, are religious in their lives. Okay, There's a lot of people who go to church 
pick whatever church you want. And they know a lot about God. Bob knew a lot about God for 23 years. I could tell you that I believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I, I knew, I understood. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He was rose again. I went through confirmation. I had my first Holy Communion. I did all these things. I understood. I even knew the books of the Bible. But I didn't know God. We're going to talk about that when we get to John 17. It's all about a relationship. They didn't know the Father. They didn't have a relationship. And so when he came to dwell in their midst... Philip, have I been so long with you and you haven't recognized me? They didn't recognize him. They didn't understand it. So they're ignorance. They didn't know him who sent Jesus. And then there we have this condemnation of the world that we receive here. Then we're verse 22 to 24 where he says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. Isn't that an interesting thought? But now... They have no excuse for their sin. Do you realize that when you go out and evangelize, it's a two-edged sword? Because people hear the gospel, they receive it, they get saved. But if they don't receive it, that means that they what? They reject it, and they're condemned. Now, that doesn't mean don't go and evangelize, okay? Because the reality is God's still bringing a witness to them. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And we're going to see in a moment that God gave the Holy Spirit in order to convict the world of sin, judgment, and righteousness and judgment, right? And so the Holy Spirit is the one who's ultimately doing the work, but the Holy Spirit uses us. Make sense? But God's ultimate goal is he wants them to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, not to go through condemnation. He doesn't desire for people to be condemned. So we need to go out with the good news. But you just need to understand, there's the opposite side, right? And so, the condemnation of the world, God manifested himself, and they what? They rejected him. It's going to come back to that in just a moment. The hatred of the world, then, is baseless. We don't have time to go to Psalm 35 right now, but you can go, you can go there and read it, okay? David's talking about it. They, they hated me without a cause, is, is really the idea, right? Think about this and how it plays out even to today. I'd love to spend more time on this. I, I, I spent time meditating on this this week, and I just knew that all this wasn't going to be able to come out. Um, but so it was for me. I knew it was just for me. But of all people to hate Jesus, why would they hate Jesus? Think about it. Whose name gets blasphemed all the time? It's used as a curse word. And even Jesus Christ, right? And... And they don't believe in him. Why, why do you do that? You know, I always like to say, hey, don't talk about my Lord like that. Oh, oh you know, man, I was calling on him. Yeah, no, you weren't. And so, um, but look, it's my Lord. He died for me. I don't, you know, and so I don't say that all the time, but when, if I feel like I have that opening, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge somebody on that one to make them think what they're talking about. You are blaspheming my Lord's name. Would you like it if I knew your mom's name? And I used it as a curse word? No, you wouldn't like that. They didn't fight in words. Well, it gets that way with Jesus, right? And so, why? What has Jesus ever done to them? Nothing. He's never done anything to them. He's done everything for them. The loving servant leader who laid his life down 
for them, who bore the intensity, the achiness of their sin. You ready for this one? He drank the wrath of God. You can't drink the cup that I'm about to drink. You can't do it. Because it's the bull of God's wrath. And when you get to Revelation and you see about the bulls of God's wrath, that's why the church is taken up before that. That you won't have to experience the wrath because Jesus has already drank the wrath of God for you. And when you begin to look at what happens when God's pouring out his wrath in rapid succession, I mean, it is the sores, the the water's turning into blood, and then the darkness that's painful. It's hell on earth, literally. I know, last week I said I'd never do that, the hell and fire and brimstone again. But anyways, but it's hell on earth, it really is. I'm reading Revelation, so it's going to come out. And, and, but Jesus drank it for me. Do you get it? It's when he's on the cross, he became Bob's sin. Oh, you don't know. You don't even know. They knew me when I was sinner, Okay. But they don't even know how bad it was because you guys were actually were kind of sinful too when we first met. Okay, and so it's kind of, it's I, well yeah come on it's honest and um, and so there's two pigs hanging out together and so um, but you get what I'm saying and and so and as you go on God's continually what cleansing you you just don't know you just don't know the 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 wicked side the evil side that Bob was there that God knows and he was drinking it. On the cross. But you know what? He wasn't just drinking mine. He wasn't just becoming mine and dying for me. He's t- he did it for you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And we go around the room. You, 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 you. And then we're going to go outside and we're going to go down the, go, start going down the neighborhood street. And as people come out, and for you, and you, and you. And they're going to look like, huh? But he died for you. He drank your sin. He became your sin. But you got to what? You got to believe. You got to trust in it, because if you're still trusting in your own works, what he did for you is meaningless. And that's the sad part. Their hatred is baseless, because never ever was there somebody who loved you as much as Jesus loves you. Just remember that when the world hates you, it's guilt by association. That just probably means you're becoming more and more like Jesus. The more you look like Jesus, the more you love like Jesus, the more the world won't be able to stand you. Some will. Some will be drawn to that. I mean, clearly some got saved, right? He had disciples. But as a whole, the world what? They hates it because it makes them feel guilty. We'll come to that. So, Secondly, it's because of our disassociation with the world. I don't have time to go into these things. But the reality is that when you come to Christ, what happens in your life? You change. Now, he may take different things of your life that he took from my life, but I know when I got saved, he took away smoking and drinking. Okay? And then, and then a gradual thing, he took away my music. Okay? I mean, it was pretty clear. ACDC, Def Leppard, you know, all the satanic rock music, it just had to what? It had to go. It wasn't kind of... I, I, I kind of inwardly i got it singing highway to hell was not probably the the thing for a believer to do you know i'm on a no no i'm not anymore i'm on a highway to heaven baby and uh, and i'm not michael landon and so some of you yeah the old people you got that one anyways the little guys the younger guys you're going huh anyways but 
But God then took it away, took it away, took it away, took it away. He said, no, man, it's got to honor me. It's got to honor me. You want to grow in me? You got to get rid of the trash. 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 If it's not pointing to him, if it's not leading to him, it's leading someplace else. Do you get it? It's a distraction. I got to rid myself of distractions. That's why the Steelers, I mean, I, I, you know, lead black and gold. And da, da, da. But you know what? I don't, we don't have TV anymore. We have the internet and stuff like that. And we have a TV. But I don't, I don't even have rabbit ears. So, you know, I've had different, oh, I'll just put up the, the digital. I, I got rid of my digital ones. I don't, I'm not going to go get another one. I'm, I'm just not. Because all that is doing is what? Adding a distraction. I, I don't get to see the college games. I don't get to... You know, I can track them on my phone if I want to see the scores or whatever, but it's a distraction for me. And I recognize this as a distraction. There's other things I could be and should be doing. That's exactly right. Rather than sitting there watching the boob tube. Yeah, as you become a believer and stronger, you understand why they call it a boob tube. There's nothing positive coming from that thing. It's just sucking you out anyways so our disassociation so ephesians 4 talks about putting off the old man putting on the new man and it says that we shouldn't walk as the gentiles walk in the futility of their minds and so because we haven't learned we learned from jesus and so the reality is i i changed and now i I don't live like the world anymore and you know what i won't go into specific illustrations but there were people who didn't want to associate with us anymore because they felt like we were condemning them i had no condemning just because i didn't drink it's a condemnation on you. No, you can drink. I never told you you couldn't drink. I just don't drink. God took it away. Well, we found out the one guy was a believer. His wife wasn't a believer. And we're like, wow, you know, I didn't know that he was a believer. We'd, we'd been partying with them for quite a while. And Jesus never came out. And so, but now here we are saved. And all of a sudden, he's, he's what? He's convicted and condemned. And, and so, but praise God, they, their life's changed. She got saved. They're living in another state. And it's just really kind of fun. Anyways, and that all happened after we left for seminary. That just kind of, they, they humbled and it was all changed. And so, and I could go on with stories like that. But you have them yourself. If your life has changed, you've seen it. There are, it's not that you have to get rid of these people who are, are drags on you. They don't want any part of you. Well, that's okay. It's really okay. That feels bad. Because I want them to get saved. But the reality is, there were people that didn't want to hang out with Jesus. And it's really okay. Okay? So we got to fly. Okay? So the extent of our persecution, though. Jesus gives us this warning um, that um, in verse 1 of 16, he says, These things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to what? To stumble. Okay? To be offended. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God what? A service, isn't it? And so that goes into the warped thinking of the world. The time is coming when those who are in the religious establishment will seek to persecute you, thinking that they are serving God. Think of the mainline denominations in our land today. Think of what they stand for you say no rather it's what they don't stand for well i get that what they stand for is because of things they don't stand for anymore they have no absolute truth because they don't stand on the word of god okay and so so things are morphing anybody and everybody can become a pastor or a priest or whatever term they want a reverend that you want to put in there okay god has specific absolute truth 
Well, then you get rid of what salvation means, too. And anybody can. In any certain way. And those who stand, whether you like this term or not, can I, can I be just straight here? You're a fundamentalist. Deal with that term. If you truly believe that God's word is the absolute truth, you're a fundamentalist. People hate fundamentalists. Okay? Because you are, what's the, intolerant. You believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no, one, no other way to the Father but by him. And intolerant people hate intolerant people. Do you track with me on that one? Intolerant people hate intolerant people. If they were really tolerant, they would embrace you because you just have a different kind of truth than them. But that's okay. We all have truth. But they're intolerant as well. They have their truth. And the fact is that, that their truth is antithetical to what? Your truth. Their truth isn't really truth. It's deception. But what their God is, who their God is, is the destroyer, and he has from the beginning been set in, a, in and I'm not going on to my second half of my message, y'all. We're picking it up, and that's going to change everything. That changes everything. Sorry, David. Um, David's doing the last message in December, and he just watched this. In a moment, in the blinking of an eye, we'll still let you probably do that, and I'll come back to the previous one. Anyways, uh, isn't it God? God's good. God is good all the time. And um, I'm looking at the clock. There ain't no way. It's just not happening. And, and so, um, but it's this warped thinking that the world has. And it's going to play, as we're going to watch it, I think, through our mainline denominations, who are going to join with our government system, who sees you as a threat. You're a threat. You don't feel like a threat. Do I feel like, I mean, I don't think I'm a threat. I want to go out there and see people get saved. I want to see them to go to, to be with Jesus and spend, and become good citizens of the country. You know, I'm not asking them to be rebels and stuff like that, but that's not what the world sees you as. And because of their warped thinking, now this isn't the days of Jesus. I get this. But applicationally, when we go to the book of Revelation and we look at the end times, we see the same thing happen. Okay. You can read Matthew 24, Matthew 25. I don't have time to go into all that, right? But the reality is there is going to be a period of cleansing and persecution that comes upon the church. As Americans, we think we get a buy. I, why do we get that? Why do you think you get a buy? There are people dying around the world. Nancy, you bless my heart all through the week of prayer when you're continually bringing before the throne the persecuted church around the world. You need to remember them. There are people literally dying for the faith all around the world while you whine about the persecutions that we might be, have, you know? We're not asked to, to literally give up our husband or our wife or our kids for the name of Jesus like they are around the world. But it may come to a neighborhood near you soon. Are you ready for that? So, are you ready for this? Okay. Close your eyes. This is, a, this is a prelude of things to come. <laughs> this is kind of like the, uh, the, 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 the ghost of, of messages future. <laughs> all right. So I don't know how many of these apply to the first half of this message, but you're going to get them all, okay? And you'll probably get them all next week. Anyways, how committed to Christ are you? This is so huge to me. I, I struggle. I struggle. Look. I, I get it, my testimony. I mean, i got to look at myself. How committed to Christ am I, okay? So I'm not picking on anybody else. 
But I struggle when I look at the church. And, you know, I'm, so I'm not picking on you guys, but you get what I'm saying. The church. And I look at people who've known Jesus. And their lives aren't changing. And I go, do you really? Your life ought to change. You ought to have a yearn, a desire, a yen, a, just this passion for his word. Man, that's how he worked in me. And I got to be careful, you know, that not to judge others based upon how God worked in my life. But I, I just, my greatest passion, I, purity, passion, privilege, power, all in Christ, the person of Christ. That's what I want. Purity comes from prayerfulness and prudence. Passion is with purposefulness and pliableness. Um, privilege is um, patience and perseverance. And then power is position, but it's posture, which leads me back to the prayerfulness. All around the person of Christ. That's my life. That's what I want my tent to be structured like. Do you get it? How committed to Christ are you? Secondly, are you willing to suffer for the testimony of his name? It's coming. We'll talk about it more next week. It's coming. Are you ready? Are you willing to suffer for the name of Jesus? Has the Holy Spirit been reproving you of sin? That's going to come next week. How have you responded? How bold are you in your witness for Christ? And then finally, is there, oh, sorry, how faithful are you in reading and studying God's word, searching for truth? And then finally, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Lord, I'm grateful for how you even, you, you changed how the order of the service is going to go. And I thank you for all the testimonies that you gave today, Lord. And I'm so, I mean, they're more powerful than me even teaching. It's because it is God, you using your word in the life of so many individuals. And we just give you the glory and praise for it. Lord, I pray that you would help us, though, to be bold. That you would help us to be empowered. You would help us to be strong. You would help us to persevere in this world, Lord, that we would not be yellow-bellied chicken livers um, when, it, when it comes to proclaiming your name in front of others. We wouldn't fear man, Lord, that we would understand that it's the fear of God that, that works all things. And so that you would be honored, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified in all that we say, in all that we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.